The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. What we're witnessing is the fragility of authoritarian regimes. In democracies, there are typically pressure valves through the ballot box. But when one man or a small group rules, that pressure builds up and it only takes a small grievance, like in Kazakhstan, a gas price increase to see anger boil over. Kazakh security forces have killed dozens of anti-government protesters in the country's largest city of Almaty. Thousands of demonstrators took control of police stations, TV studios, businesses, and even the airport. People are angry at the country's elite, which it sees as ruthless and corrupt. The government says 12 members of the security forces have also been killed. The Kazakh president has now asked a Russian-led military alliance, their version of NATO, for help in crushing the uprising. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Good afternoon, friends. Welcome back. I'm Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com, filling in for Drew Mariani, taking your calls at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Lots to discuss today. We have a, a really great show for you today. I know that uh, Drew is out, but uh, I'm planning to have him back tomorrow. And, of course, we're all praying for him and uh, looking forward to his return. But in the meantime, I'm going to uh, really enjoy being with uh, just one of the great radio audiences. Drew has such a great audience, and I just really appreciate being with you. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Kazakhstan in a minute. I just want to do a little bit of a news roundup before we get to our first guest at the bottom of the hour. And uh, there's a lot going on today. Uh, there's a lot going on today that isn't really being covered in the news because the news media is pretty much... Wall-to-wall on one topic, we're going to take that topic in the third hour with our friend uh, Andrew McCarthy from National Review. He's got a great take on that. We're going to discuss that with him. That's the January 6th, um, uh, January 6th anniversary. But in the meantime, there's other news going on. Kazakhstan will be coming up in just a minute because that's a really important news item that's getting almost no coverage at all. But for right now, uh, just taking a look at some of the news that's going on around the country, there's a new district attorney in New York City, just got elected, and he's busy um, telling prosecutors that he's not going to be jailing people unless they've committed murder. According to Fox News, Alvin Bragg said that the no-jail-time exceptions are murder, a crime that involves someone's death, or a felony. Now, there's a lot of different felonies, but, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, th this is part of this whole nationwide prosecutorial reform effort. I'm using reform in, in uh, sort of with the scare quotes, uh, which is basically not to put anybody in prison at, at all. Several serious crimes, such as uh, some cases of armed robbery, are being reduced to misdemeanors. He wants to limit sentences to 20 years, even for murder convictions. Uh, meanwhile, the Federalists have got hold of a, a draft executive order from President Biden that would also reduce a lot of criminal penalties. But buried way down at the bottom of that order, according to Nathaniel Blake, is a provision that says any man in federal prison who claims he's a woman will be sent to a woman's prison. If this goes through, we're going to be seeing a, a lot of population increases in women's prisons without a corresponding increase in crime committed by women. Instead, we'll see some crimes committed by men against women in these, in these prison populations, increased rapes, other violent crimes, and unfortunately, those in authority aren't going to care. They're not going to distinguish about this. And this is, I mean, these two, these two stories uh, really are a demonstration of how what should be straightforward criminal justice is being twisted, is being manipulated on, uh, for political benefit uh, by people who want to impose a uh, social justice uh, paradigm on 
on, on Americans, both inside and outside of prison. I mean, this is these are these are going to the extremes now. And, and I would say, ten years ago, if somebody said, "Well, we're going to have people like that who come into office," I would say, "Nobody elects people who do that." You, know, you elect mayors who have those sorts of points of view. You elect legislatures, legislators who have those points of view. But prosecutors are there to prosecute. And that's what voters want from prosecutors. Unfortunately, over the last couple of years, people have confused these things. And so they have elected these uh, prosecutors like Alvin Bragg to office, uh, uh, George Gascon in, in Los Angeles, Chesa Booting in in San Francisco, and that's just to name a few. I mean, there's, there, there are others in, in major cities around the country, part of a, uh, a, a very much explicitly progressive uh, push by activists to change, to change criminal justice by essentially getting prosecutors to concede an awful lot. And this is, unfortunately, it's been successful. These were not used. These races didn't used to be as partisan as ideological. Uh, they were certainly partisan in the sense that you knew who the Democrats and Republicans were. I mean, there are some municipal elections where you don't have party affiliations. Usually speaking, the the, the district attorneys races weren't like that. They they did have party affiliations. They do have party affiliations in most jurisdictions, but it didn't have this sort of really strange extremist ideological bent to them. And I think that that's really what is what we're seeing now. And it's one of the reasons why crime, crime is increasing because there is a sense of impunity among criminals about their, whatever consequences that they're going to face. They know that the consequences aren't going to be serious. And it's not just in the DA's races. California passed a proposition that essentially didn't decriminalize theft, but de-escalated the criminalization of, of theft to a point where you couldn't even be arrested if you stole under $950 worth of goods. Uh, you would just get a ticket. It's, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. And as a result, you're seeing a massive increase in these retail thefts because that type of signal incentivizes those types of uh, retail thefts. Uh, anyway, I'm Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com. We're, we're uh, talking about the, the news roundup. Of course, we're taking your calls at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. In case you are listening and realize, hey, that's not Drew. Now, I'm filling in for Drew today, so I'm having, I, 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 I love this. I'm having a blast. Would love to hear from you. Uh, there's more in the news. Uh, as the number of COVID cases skyrockets, people who have not yet gotten vaccinated are starting to feel the heat. Uh, and I'm going to preface this by saying I'm vaccinated, I'm boosted, my, my wife is vaccinated and boosted. I'm a big fan of uh, vaccines. Not necessarily a big fan of the mandates, but we'll get to that in a, in a little bit. President Biden said in a speech yesterday that there's no excuse for the unvaccinated to still be unvaccinated. And even more than that, Arthur Kaplan, a medical ethicist at New York University, went on CNN yesterday to say that the unvaccinated should not be treated as equals in society with the vaccinated. Quote, I'll condemn them, I'll shame them, I'll blame them. We can penalize them more. Say, you have to pay more for your hospital bill. You can't get life insurance, disability insurance at affordable rates if you aren't vaccinated. Now, I am, uh, I, I am probably older than most people in the audience, I guess. I'm certainly old enough to remember when uh, we were having this debate about access to health care and access to insurance and how it was everybody's right to have access to insurance and that health care was a right, not a privilege. 
and that health care was, uh, was a basic human need and really should be provided for free. And, uh, and all of a sudden, the same people who are making all of those arguments are now making the argument that we should be able to dictate these outcomes and withhold this human right <laughs> uh, to penalize people who are not, who who don't accept the group think. And look, I mean, I, and again, I, I I am I am very pro vaccine, uh, but I am not uh, I'm not in favor of mandates for this. And there's pretty good reason now. We've got pretty good data here that shows that even the people who are fully vaccinated, fully boosted, remain vectors for transmission. The vaccines don't prevent people from becoming vectors for transmission. What they do, and they do pretty effectively, is they keep people from dying from acute COVID cases, and they keep people from being having to, from having to have hospitalization and extreme interventions uh, for you know severely acute cases of COVID pneumonia. That's really what the vaccines are, are supposed to be for. If they had prevented transmission or any sort of uptake of the COVID virus, that would have been wonderful, but that's not really what vaccines do. And the Omicron variant especially, which is now, 90, according to the CDC, I was checking the data out yesterday, the genomic surveillance on the cases that are being identified, 95% of them are now Omicron. Omicron spreads among the vaccinated just as much as it does among the unvaccinated. So this is not an instance of saying, well, the unvaccinated are are a danger to others. You can make an argument that they're dangerous to themselves, you know, that, they're, that they're taking a, a lot of risk by not getting vaccinated. And I would say that's true if people don't get vaccinated for the measles. I'd say that's true if people don't get vaccinated for the mumps and so on, vaccinated for polio, etc. Yeah, you're taking on a tremendous risk on yourself, but it doesn't really impact anybody else it's if you're vaccinated you're as protected as you're going to get even if other people around you are, are not vaccinated uh the people who are around who are around you that are vaccinated can still spread the virus especially the omicron variant and so it gets down to a point is what is the point of these mandates if the point of the mandates is to protect everybody else then this isn't going to it's not going to work because the virus spreads regardless of vaccination status if we're trying to say that we're going to protect people from themselves, that becomes a very, very different proposition for a society that's built on individual rights, that's built on individual choices, and operates within a framework of voluntary associations and, and voluntary transactions. Uh, all of a sudden, now you're going to have to have a, a tremendous surveillance state to keep track of who's got what and where and when. And, uh, and and the ability to punish that. And that is a much bigger, much bigger deal, I think, than, than a virus whose present stage is much more mild than its previous stages and is going to be around forever anyway now. It's endemic. We're going to have to learn to live with this thing. And, uh, and that's, not to, that's not to slough off the seriousness of some COVID infections. We, clearly, we know that they can be very serious. Clearly, we know that previous variants cause uh, death. But that's why we have the vaccines. That's why we have the therapeutics. Those are things that we didn't have a year ago. and uh, Or we just had the vaccines. Actually, it's January 2022. So we had the vaccines and just were getting the vaccines a year ago. So, you know, the summer of 2020, we didn't have those things. 
It's a very different world now, and we have to learn how to live within that world. Let's go to the phones. I know we've got a couple of phone calls. Let's go to uh, Miriam in, uh, I believe it's Nacita, Wisconsin. Miriam, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I enjoy whenever you're on the radio. Oh, thank and you. I have, a, <laughs> so I have a comment about these uh, who you know, say, well, you appear to be biologically male and you um, are going to prison one way or another. But right. before you get a chance to go into female prison, um, you have to have at your own cost, which would be including any insurance or anything they have, um, at your own cost, have your male genitalia entirely removed at your own cost. Then, <laughs> then okay, that well, would eliminate Miriam, I think... off a lot of that problem. <laughs> Miriam, I, I, think that, uh, I think you understand the whole idea of incentives. <laughs> this is my response to that. <laughs> Look, I, 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 I thank you for your call, Miriam. I think it's I, I, you're not the only person who's saying this either. And, and so let me put it in in in, in more culturally, um, uh, uh, more culturally acceptable terms. Is that if you are claiming that you are transsexual as a as a male inmate, uh, then you have to really go through the entire transition before you can be moved to a different facility. Um, Actually, I don't think that that's an unreason in the in the culture we live in at the moment. I don't think that that's an un, unreasonable uh, policy to follow. Uh, I, I I think that moving uh, functional males into into women's prisons is a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, I think that we've already seen this at the state level uh, in a couple of instances where it's a disaster that actually does happen. You end up with rapes. You end up with all sorts of different problems. And prisons are problematic enough. There's there are a lot of problems in prisons. We don't need to add to that. What we need to do is find out ways to to reduce the to reduce those problems, to reduce the tension in those prisons. So, um, let's go to let's go to Maria in Houston, Texas, talking about COVID vaccines. And uh, Maria, welcome to the show. Great to talk to you today. I I'm not sure that we have Maria. I'm not sure that we have Maria yes. on the line. Hello? Hello, Maria. How are you? Fine. How about you? I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing something I love doing, talking to the relevant radio audience. Uh, you, you wanted to call about the uh, COVID vaccines. Actually, yes, if I could make a comment. Sure. I am a registered nurse. I'm calling from Houston, Texas. And oh, I just want to make a great. comment. I am old enough to know about um, polio and if you know now I'm sure you're much younger than me we don't see children in wheelchairs or with braces in school uh, with polio and the reason right. is because I've used we have reached herd immunity with the polio vaccine and that is the problem now with the COVID vaccine we do not have herd immunity well, I, right. I, I, grant, I grant you that. I grant you that. However, it's two very different types of diseases, too. It's, it's, the COVID is much more transmissible. In all of its forms, it's much more transmissible than polio. It's a, it's a respiratory disease that, that, is, um, that is extremely transmissible and, in its latest variants, are, is transmissible in vaccinated people, which polio isn't. So we, we're talking really about two different things. And, and, and again, Maria, I am a huge fan of the, of the vaccines. I was, 
Correct. If I could have been an earlier adopter of the vaccines, because it was, you know, when they first came out, there were shortages and they were staging, staging the rollouts, I would have been first in line to roll up my arm. And I still would be today. I've been vaccinated, I've been boosted. So this is not me knocking the vaccines. I'm just talking about what the data is showing. The data is showing that uh, Omicron, the Omicron variant especially, but also the Delta variant, uh, the vaccinated are still vectors for transmission for these things. And, and it's going to be the case. And so what we have to do is, it'd be great if we had herd immunity. I would love for everybody to get vaccinated. But at some point, Amen. you can't keep putting the burden of that on the vaccinated because the unvaccinated refuse to take the vaccine. At, at some point, everybody's going to have to make those decisions and live with the consequences. Well, that is true. But I, as a nurse, do promote the vaccine regardless Absolutely. of uh, the variant or the variant status or the transmissibility. The only way that we are going to gain control of this disease, hopefully one day, is through herd immunity. I agree. I agree. There's no other I, way. I, I agree. I agree. And that's going to happen uh, by either vaccination or exposure. And exposure has much higher risks. So people shouldn't be <laughs> waiting to be exposed to it. They should really get vaccinated and, and, and uh, acquire immunity that way. Until that happens, though, we can't live you know, for the next several years in lockdown status. And this is, this is really the point I'm kind of coming around to, is that if you know that vaccinate, the vaccinated are, are, are vectors for transmission, and we do, uh, it's in the data, um, it's, it's, the CDC has it right on their website, you can look it up, uh, then vaccination status really doesn't matter in terms of public access, because the only people who are then at, at any particular risk are the unvaccinated, and in a situation like we have in the United States, where we have plenty of these vaccines. There is, we don't have a shortage of vaccines anymore. They're readily available. Uh, the choice not to be vaccinated is, is a risk, is a burden of risk that, that is assumed by the unvaccinated shouldn't be transferred to the vaccinated. And that's, that's how you set those incentives up. And, and that's really the only rational basis on which we can go forward without having some sort of massive surveillance system where we're continually tracking people's uh, uh, immune system. Maria, it's a great talking to you. Uh, I'm also in Texas, so fellow Texan, great call. Thank you very much. Let's go to, is it Michelle in Kelowna, Illinois? Michelle, Hi. welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, thank you. Um, I'm also um, um, proponent of vaccines. Um, I wish everyone would get a vaccine. I'm almost for, you know, putting people in a semi-coma and just vaccinating everyone. <laughs> um, um, okay. If everyone, uh, if everyone were vaccinated, the, <clears throat> the virus could not mutate and change variants. I don't know that that's necessarily true. And again, it has to do with the fact that the vaccinated are still vectors for transmission. I think what is interesting, though, and certainly I think there's less chance of it, the more, the, the higher, the higher you have, for instance, Maria was just talking about herd immunity. If you had a 90 to 95% immune uh, population, you probably have less mutations. I think one of the interesting things, though, is that we really haven't had an American mutation yet. The mutations that we've seen have been all from overseas, where there are, uh, in, in some cases in South Africa, where there's higher uptake of the vaccine and in India where there just wasn't any vaccine to begin with. People forget that Delta came out of India where there wasn't any vaccine at all at the time. 
And so I know well, they, we need to get the vaccines everywhere. This is a worldwide pandemic. And I, I agree. think in a, in a case like that, that's a, a health problem for everyone. I, I don't see anything wrong with mandates. This is a big deal. This isn't just, you know, oh, well, I got a ready nose. Well, it depends on which part of the which variant you're talking about. Omicron is much more mild. It actually is. If you if you read the data on this, and if you read David Leonhardt's report on this in the New York Times, I believe it was yesterday. It, it really is. It's an upper respiratory illness. Omicron is an upper respiratory illness that doesn't get into the lungs. It's um, it's about has the same health risk as the flu, which is still can be deadly. But it's got about the same health risk as the flu. And I think what we have to do is we have to manage this in terms of what what the reality is. And, Michelle, thank you very much for your call. I, I do want to get to Barbara in Kendall, Florida, because she has – it's a different topic, and it's something that we were talking about earlier in this half hour. Barbara, welcome to the show. Yes, hi. I was going to – I have a comment about the what's happening in California, but now I have to comment on this. I want to tell you, I like your show, but I'm very disappointed. I find it kind of disingenuous that you don't even discuss the dangers of this so-called vaccine. So thousands of people are dying. People are being crippled, heart problems, all kinds of terrible things. You could see it at the VARS, um, you know, the, where you adverse reaction, you know, and they only have 10%. So many doctors are warning of the dangers of this vaccine. Well, I think we. I, I think I've covered it. When I've, when it. I've been. When, and, I think. I think. Well, hold on. I think I've. Drew's covered this yeah. when he's been on. I've covered it when I've been on. There, there are risks with any vaccine. There are risks with any medication well, that you take. It, it's not that there aren't risks. Well, not I that wanna, they're not talking about the risks. Yeah. But it is. It is by far well, and away um, safer to be immunized against a disease that can kill you. Than, than it is with these particular vaccines. It's not to say that there's zero risk. There's nothing that's zero risk. This is part, I think this is part of one of the issues that we have, uh, especially okay. of, of the last few, especially in the last few years of not understanding risk balancing and risk management. And, and that I think we have become sort of uh, spoiled, I guess, to a certain extent that there, that there is some sort of choice that you can make that has no risks whatsoever. That's the reason why people are shutting down schools, because they don't see a risk in, in how that harms children. Um, they're shutting down the schools because they're looking at, at one risk without taking, uh, taking a look at the, at the other risks. They're shutting, down, they're shutting down businesses, again, because they don't see what the risk is to small mom-and-pop business owners who are going to lose their livelihoods and the, the serious health risks that that entails. Everything in life is a risk balance. And until we until yeah. we approach these things, I'm sorry, we're probably going to have to wrap this up, and I, and I don't mean to cut you off. Well, but until we, I, I, I appreciate your call. Wait, if you I can make it really quickly, something. you got to make it really quick, go ahead and ask. Yeah, well, does does what about the abortion issue? I mean, we don't want it because it's tainted by abortion. It, to me, it's cursed. But most important, you also need to read the science. Children are getting heart attacks after getting okay. shot. Okay, we're kind of going around and around on this, and I think that, I think that you had an opportunity to make that case. There are other vaccines that, um, that are out. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine is, I believe, 
uh, not a part of the, doesn't have an abortion, uh, excuse me, uh, no, I'm sorry, it was the uh, Moderna that doesn't have an, uh, uh, doesn't have that. You've got Novavax that doesn't have anything to do with abortion cell lines. That's going to be coming out um, uh, soon. There are other options that are coming out here. No one's saying that there's no risks to these things. There's, a, but there are risks to being unvaccinated, and the risks for being unvaccinated are higher. And it's not just that; it's not just the death rate. It's the fact that you can get blood clots from from an active, uh, you know, an acute, serious COVID uh, infection. You can do damage to the lungs. There's uh, there are there's apparently some cognitive issues if you have a serious enough case. These are all risks as well. And and so, it, it just in terms of being in the world. We have to understand what those, um, you know, all of the risks, and we have to balance the risks out. And that's true in public policy. It's, it's true in individual policy. And so, I, hey, thanks for the calls, because these are great discussions to have, terrific discussions to have. Uh, so keep them coming. It's going to be great. When we come back, we're going to be talking about um, Exodus 90 and an ascetic lifestyle and how you can take advantage of it. This is for the men. I'm Ed Morrissey, filling in for Drew Mariani. We'll be right back. Today's programming is brought to you by St. Gregory Recovery Center in Iowa. More information about their faith-centered addiction treatment is available at relevantradio.com slash stgregory. Get connected. Drew Mariani on Relevant Radio. It's 31 minutes past the hour. I'm Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com, filling in for Drew, taking your calls at 888-914-9149. We are going to shift gears and talk a little bit about the contemplative lifestyle, asceticism, and how men can access uh, their spirituality through a 90-day spiritual exercise called Exodus 90. And this looks fascinating. And joining us to discuss this is uh, James Baxter of Exodus 90. James, welcome to the show. Uh, Ed, James here. Thanks so much for the invitation. It's uh, it's awesome to be with you this afternoon. Well, it's terrific to talk to you as well. And I should just mention that uh, James Baxter is the co-founder and CEO of Exodus 90. It's a men's program focusing on prayer, asceticism, and fraternity that's reached 50,000 men so far around the world in just, well, seven short years. Um, started in 2015 and... Um, and now um, uh, you are, I guess you're just just past 30, right? You're 30 or 31 years old, and you've been doing this. Yeah. This That's is amazing. Right. I'm, I'm getting old. I turned 30 this year, Ed, and I'm like, man, <laughs> I got gray hairs. Uh, you know, my, my kids are growing, you know. But, yeah, 30 years old, started working on it at 24. Uh, in short, this whole thing was a seminary formation experience that a, a priest mentor of mine had started. He shared the notes about it with me um, after years of kind of working through this. And the simple question was like, hey, if, you know, if we even we need this kind of freedom that we that we didn't have before, um, you know, and their desires to serve the church as priests. Like, what about men everywhere who don't have a formation house? But, you know, with so many things that, that kind of keep them from intimacy with God, uh, intimacy with those in their in their lives. And so. Yeah, since 2015, I've been kind of thinking about, praying over it, and working on the same thing. And it's really uh, been a delight to, to watch it unfold. Well, I think this is a fascinating it's a fascinating uh, plan here, right? And, and I think it really does speak to 
I, 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 maybe the, the, the temptations of modern culture, I want to get into the whole process here in, in just a little bit, but before we get to that, let's talk about what the need is that, that you see that this, that this was filling. I, I, when I first looked at this, I thought this looks like the program that you might get in a, in a monastery or maybe, maybe even a, a, you know, a lay monastery sort of situation. Um, this is, you're not asking people to enter a monastery, clearly, but, but is this modeled on that, sort of, uh, on that sort of experience? Yeah, that's a really great question, and not a lot of people see into it that deeply. Uh, but yeah, so I spent time in seminary formation, and when I was there, you know, the priests uh, and my brothers in the seminary would often reflect on, you know, how, how life-giving what we were receiving was, you know, a life grounded in prayer, you know, a life grounded in accountability to others who are in fraternities, um, you know, receiving formation, you know, for our, for our callings. And we reflect on how, like, men everywhere need this, like laymen, men called to, to, to marriage and family, men who, you know, have, have tasks to accomplish for God in the world. And so, you know, when this whole opportunity presented itself to me, uh, that's what I thought of immediately was like, wow, maybe this is an opportunity to build something like that, where, where men of goodwill, who want to be better men, who know that their, their task, their calling is so important and reverberates into all of the people's lives that they influence. Like, what if this is a chance to build something like that for those guys? So uh, you're exactly right. I mean, the, the pillars of this are, are very similar to, to the pillars of, of priestly formation and for a reason. And it's mostly because they, they were so fruitful in my life and, and in the life of the, many of the men that are on our team today. Well, because it works, right? I mean, this is in, in terms of building um, a, a monastic community, in terms of building a, uh, a priestly community. These are the types of things that tend to work, which is yeah. to, 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 to separate yourself from really from distraction, temptation, and to do it in a systematic manner with a specific goal in mind. And, you know, when you're going into a monastery, when you're going into uh, priestly formation, that formation's for a lifetime. This is for That's a lifetime exactly too, right. but you're not doing it. You're not doing it for 90 years. You're doing it for 90 days. Exactly. And so our vision for this is like, Hey, hopefully this is a step in the right direction, really a starting line, not a finish line. Um, you know, hopefully these values of prayer, these commitments to asceticism and self-denial, not just during Lent, but on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, the accountable life, you know, a life filled with encouragement, living with others. We hope that those things live on, you know, and honestly, now we've, you know, rolled out a whole biblical series for guys to continue their journey through the biblical stories, you know, with these values that make Exodus so special. But, you know, to your point exactly, it's like there's, there's really not a lot new going on in our work at Exodus. The way we see it is, we just, yeah, we've taken very seriously the traditions of our church, some of which, um, you know, have been neglected and, and forgotten, and just representing them to men today. You know, and if I could say, like, some, sometimes we get asked, like, well, why are you so focused on men? You know, and, and for us, we, we really kind of look at this at a high level. When you, when you look at, like, why children practice the faith, like, what is the common denominator in those that practice? Their fathers and the faith that their fathers have sticks out like a sore thumb. And so just a quick stat, and these studies come out of, have come out of the States, come out of Europe. Um, when you have a mother who practices the faith and a father who do, does not, there's like a 2% chance that, that a child in that house is going to practice the faith. 
And if the father practices the faith, sometimes regardless of the mother's faith, there's a two-thirds to three-quarter chance that that kid's going to practice the faith, which is astonishing and, and, and kind of kind of surprising at first read. You know, but it just like speaks to how important a father's faith is for his children. And so the way right. that we look at this time of formation for men, it's like, yeah, we're making a dent in the future of the church. Like, that's why we come to work every day. That's why we're so excited. And that's why we think this work is so important. We are speaking with James Baxter, the co-founder and CEO of Exodus 90. You can find it at exodus90.com. And uh, it's, a, it's a really fascinating program here. And just before we get into what you're calling men to do here, um, or what you're facilitating the Lord's call for men to do here, I, I think is a better way of putting that. Uh, do you know of any sort of parallel program to this for women? Yeah, so honestly, our, so, so, so this is a question we would get more than, uh, more than any, especially in the early days. Sure. And so, you know, I was just like, okay, you know, maybe we do have something here, you know. And so I actually worked with a, uh, a flourishing women's religious order in, in the States and just asked them to, like, make a, a discernment over this with us. And basically the, the two things that came from that time together were really interesting and both were surprising. The first was, hey, the Holy Spirit is on this, obviously. And I was like, wow, that means a lot to me. Thanks. Right. <laughs> the second thing was, you know, we don't really think this is a model of healing uh, for women. And, you know, there's a lot yeah. of awesome, awesome women, small group experiences. We always recommend uh, Endow. Blessed is she does some great work as well. Um, you know, but I would just say those are a couple of groups that we, we point uh, the women to that uh, when they ask uh, kind of for a parallel experience. You know, but James, I mean, I think that that's, that's a fair, that's a fair assessment. I think that, you know, one of the things, one of the, one of the great, um, uh, illusions I think of our time is that there's no difference between men and women, right? And, and and now it's progressed past that to there's no such thing as men and women. Those right, are, exactly. Those are just constructs. Uh, but if you believe in a created world, as we do, um, and you believe that God created the world with purpose, as we do, then there is a purpose between... There's a, there, there are purposes for men and purposes for women, and there are differences between them. Not to say that they're not equal in dignity, um, and not equal in, in, in God's love, but there's, there are differences between the two. And so it makes sense that if you're going to have this type of program, that there are going to be needs for men that need to be met. And a program for women should really be focused on the needs that women have. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the other thing is just it'd be inauthentic to the origin of this to try to just like, you know, just change it from kind of what it was in its origin. And, you know, kind of our, you know, our, 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 our thinking here is really like, exactly as you said, like men and women are different, you know, and they have different needs. And modern men's struggles, you know, we're at the core of where this came from as a solution and all the way through implementation. Like that's who we're thinking about. And the thing I'd like to also reflect on is just that like, it's the ascetic component of Exodus that, you know, can get it some attention sometimes because it's kind of, you know, unique today. And that's, that's, that's interesting because it, it shouldn't be. But, um, you know, I, I'm married now. I used to say this before I was married, and now I have even more of aware, an awareness of this. It's just like my wife is so much in tune with suffering than me. And she sacrifices like that's a part of her, a part of her body. Like, and, you know, we just had a child and she just bore that child. She carried that child and it was, it was an enduring thing. And all the while 
I'm just watching her and supporting her how I can. But the right. reality is, is that like the rhythms of our lives are completely different. And I think men, because there's not like that embedded sacrifice and suffering into our experience, we can just get super distracted on things that don't matter. Things that actually take us away from our spouses, our children, focus at work, uh, obviously commitments to our, to our, 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 our church communities. And, and, and that's why these voluntary sufferings and, and offerings that we encourage men to make, and not just in Exodus 90, but all, you know, all the time, um, are so important because they reroute men to the essential. Speaking with James Baxter of Exodus 90 and taking your calls at 888-914-9149. If you've you've gone through Exodus 90, I mean, this program's been around for seven years. There's 50,000 men out there. I imagine that there might be a few that are in our listening audience right now. If you've been through Exodus 90, there's your chance to give us a call, 888-914-9149. Talk about your experience. Let's go to Melissa in Austin, Texas, because she has a recommendation for a women's program. Uh, Melissa, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I just wanted to let you all know that here in Austin um, at St. Albert the Great Parish, uh, there is a a program starting up for women called Magnify 90. And it will be going on around the same time that the Exodus 90 for the men is going on. So I'm thinking of signing up for that. It sounds really interesting and um, kind of what I've been looking for. So I think there's some challenges to completing it and I tend to be a bit of a perfectionist, <laughs> so I'm a little worried that I might not meet all the, you know, click up all the boxes just right, but I'm trying to just kind of let it be, just let go and do the program. So I'm hoping to start that up on the 18th. Well, God bless you. We'll be praying for you, Melissa. Thank you for your call, and it was great to hear from people from Texas, not that I live here myself. Uh, <laughs> James, this is uh, uh, the, the, the one thing that about people who, moved to Texas is they can't stop talking about the fact that they've moved to Texas, James. I just, just want to let you know that right off the bat. Hey, I love but, that. Uh, pride. And honestly, I think the same thing of my beloved Indiana. I regularly go. refer to it as the promised land, even in like <laughs> formal work things in which I should probably be more professional. Uh, but you know, that's all right. Whatever. That's all right. We, 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 we love our, we love our respective uh, states, but um, James, it, Melissa brings up a good point. You know, there's, we're going to get into this after the break, folks, about some of the things that are, are expected um, of men who are in Exodus 90. Uh, obviously, you want people to get 100% of these things right over the 90-day period. But, I mean, people, we're, we, are, we are fallible people. It's one of the reasons why I love being Catholic is because I am a fallible person, and, exactly, and I need yeah. help. I, I need to be, you know, I stumble, I need forgiveness, I, I, need, I need that sort of grace. Um, it, when people come to you and say, I don't know that I could do this, I don't know if I can stick through this, what is it that you tell them about that? What kind of, what kind of encouragement do you give them on that? Yeah, two thoughts here. I mean, so I, I read a book uh, a couple of years ago that changed my life. Uh, called Union of Life with Mary um, by Father Emile Nubert. I'm not, I don't know French real well, but something like that. And he, as he's talking about this book uh, and kind of these different stories of saints and stuff and their Marian devotion, at the very start of it, he's like, hey, take what's helpful here and leave what's not. And he said this in the 40s, okay? Like this isn't just, right. you know, some spiritual guru today. And, and the book was just like so important. So Life of Union with Mary, I'd recommend it. Um, is important for me. 
And I think that attitude is like really good with this. So, so, so you know, I would just say like, if Exodus has, if there's, if there's something in it that attracts you, or there's something in here like you think you need, you know, go for it. But if it's like, you know, this isn't the right time for me. I've got this going on at work or, I've, you know, this, this situation, you know, now it's just not the right time. Like, that's okay. You know, like if this is a helpful tool, awesome. If now's not the right time, that's okay too. You know, we don't look at our work at Exodus like this is the end all be all. If you don't do this, you're not a man. Like, no, we don't fall into any of that stuff. It's just, it's a tool that's helped a ton of people, a lot more people than I ever expected. Um, and it's just kind of been fun to watch it. So that's the, that's the first thing. But the second thing is like, so say Exodus interests you. And you pray over it and you really feel like the Lord's inviting you into it. Uh, and to us, this is a real a spiritual exercise. So like that discernment phase is important at the start. Um, you know, it's just like it's to know at the start. No one no one wins Exodus. Like no one, you know, no one achieves this 100 percent. I don't achieve this 100 percent. You know, and it's just like, uh, you know, it's just like I'm a work as much of a work in progress, if not more than anyone through Exodus. And so. I, you know, I would just say, like, when you have that frame, it's not so much ice. There's no such thing, really, as failing. It's just, hey, here's a rule of life for a period of time. Here's some standards that we set. This is why we're doing this, um, you know, from our tradition. And, um, you know, get up, try again, if, if you know, if you're having a struggle. And this is precisely the subject of what you bring up in your fraternity meeting. So fraternity is a huge part of Exodus 90. This is not a self-help experience. And like it's James, very much about building brotherhood, and this is what you bring to fraternity meetings. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about fraternity. We're going to talk about asceticism, too, because there's a whole lot of things about asceticism that you might need to know. And we're going to talk to at least one or two people who've been through the program who are calling in to talk about how they liked it. I'm Ed Morrissey, filling in for Drew Mariani. Stay tuned. Today's programming is brought to you by St. Gregory Recovery Center in Iowa. More information about their faith-centered addiction treatment is available at relevantradio.com slash stgregory. It's 50 minutes past the hour. I'm Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com, filling in for Drew today and speaking with James Baxter, co-founder and CEO of Exodus 90. You can find it at Exodus90.com. Uh, it's a, it looks like a great program for, uh, for uh, laymen to come closer in, in, in communion with the Lord and, and access their spirituality, in part, James, by by putting aside the things that distract us from it. Uh, I, I, you talked a little bit about fraternity. I'm looking at, at the website right now, exodus90.com, the How It Works segment. And it's broken up into, into three sections, prayer, asceticism, and fraternity. Prayer and fraternity have two bullet points each. Asceticism has, I think, 15 bullet points. So I think I see where the challenge might be for men coming into the program. Yeah, you know, everybody has parts of it that, like, point out, you know, some are harder for men than others. Uh, I'll never forget talking to some guys who were like, yeah, I take cold showers every day for fun. And I was just like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, I, 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 said, I don't do that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, that aesthetic piece definitely uh, makes Exodus unique. One of the things that the guys say is, you know, once you're kind of in the flow of it, because at the beginning it can be a lot. It's like, okay, what, you know, what are we going through? 
uh, here. And uh, we have an app that makes this as simple as possible. But, right. um, you know, when you look at it, it can seem like a lot at the beginning. But in the first couple of days, you start to settle into a little bit of a routine. And one of the things that guys say is they're shocked by how much time they have in their life. And that's really interesting because everybody talks about how busy they are. And maybe they don't have time for prayer. They don't have time for, you know, community. They don't have time for, you know, anything, it seems. Um, and you know, when you actually take a step back, look at your life, you know, put prayer at the foundation, put our Lord in the center, um, you know, set up some structure that kind of, you know, removes some of your, your distractions. Boy, there's a lot of time. There's a lot of time for what matters. There's a lot of time for you to make your dent in the universe as God's calling you to. So, um, in short, you're right. That aesthetic piece um, definitely stands out, but I would just say it, it has a remarkable ability to really simplify your life. It does. And, and uh, I mean, I've been on silent retreats, and it's, it's, it's the same way for silent retreats. And those were only like four days. But silent retreats tend to do the same thing because you have to put away all these different things. You can't have your cell phone with you. You can't do. You have to put the computers away um, and all of that. And so all you're really focusing on is prayer and, and and scriptural reading and and uplifting reading and and community fraternity and yeah. and the gospel. You know, and and Ed, I don't know about you and your experience of silent retreats, but um, I've had the privilege of making a number, especially in my time in, in the seminary. And um, I, I was fortunate enough to, to make a 30-day at one point. And I remember at the very beginning of that feeling, like, overwhelmed. I was like, yes. what the heck am I going to pray about for 30 days? And uh, <laughs> that, was, that was kind of the feeling. By the end of it, though, I was just shocked by how present our Lord, how present the saints, you know, how present Mary can be when you make that space for them. And when I, when I was done with it, I was just like, I mean, I had so much more to pray with after that retreat than I had going into it. And, and I think Exodus, you know, it, it's not nearly as intense as that, but, but it's, it's something like that where, you know, our men, some of them for the very first time are committing to, to daily prayer. You know, praying an hour uh, is kind of what we recommend, at least 20 minutes of silence with our Lord, uh, if you can't even make that full hour. And, um, you know, that's a lot at, at the start, but you come, you know, when you make that space for Christ to move in the life of, of the soul, he's always going to, 100% of the time. That's what makes our work so special, and I think that's definitely why this thing is moved as it's moved. Um, it's inexplainable apart from him. Yeah, James, uh, we're talking with James Baxter. Let's take a couple of calls here. We've got Dave from Chicago, Illinois, who's been through it once and wants to do it again. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, James. Uh, Dave, I, great I to be with you. That, thank you, and, and thanks for creating the program. It was a great experience last year, and when I did it, plan is to do it again this year. <clears throat> uh, the fraternity of it was fantastic. I'm still in touch with my anchor. We've become friends, and I'm still in touch and, uh, with the rest of the fellows that were in Exodus in St. Ed's, I think it's built a stronger uh, church community, uh, at least between those of us that were involved. The pastor's able to call on us to help with various tasks around the, the parish, and for some reason we feel compelled to help, and I think it had to do with Exodus 90 and being involved in it. Well, Dave, thank you Dave, very much for your, for your call. Yeah. 
James. Yeah, just just jumping in there, Dave. That's 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 really awesome, awesome testimony there. And that's one of the things actually that we find. Um, we we run effectiveness studies every year just to get a sense for who our guys are, why they come to Exodus, the benefits that they receive, uh, and it just you know helps us to improve as we're going along. And one of the things that's super interesting is is Exodus guys are way more likely to volunteer and way more likely to donate uh, to their parishes after the experience. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that is, like, those aren't really, like, core tenets of, of the experience at all. But I like, think that's just what happens. Like, when you're in prayer, you know, you're living sacrifice, um, you know, you're in fraternity. It's like, no, you want to give back from that. And that's beautiful to see you guys doing that uh, at your parish. You know, um We've got a couple more people on the line. I don't know if we're going to be able to get to everyone. Let's go to Anthony in um, Los Lunas, New Mexico, um, who's been waiting patiently. Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you. I just wanted to um, thank James and the team there. I uh, completed the Exodus 90 in 2020. So it's been two years ago now, and I'm itching to do it again. Uh, I know for myself and all of my fraternity, we were actually sorry when the 90 days ended. We wanted it to continue. And uh, I know they have some other things that you can do online that helped, and I've been doing a lot of those. But I've carried a lot of it over in now two years, including hardly using the Internet, almost never watching TV, and uh, continuing with the hourly prayer, the holy hour, uh, going to confession, meeting with my fraternity brothers, and reading scriptures. All of that's continued to, for me, and even more. And it's become so much a part of my life now that I can't even, off the top of my head, recite which of these uh, new habits I have that were created through Exodus 90. So I would highly encourage any man that uh, is even remotely thinking about it to really look at the website and uh, see if there's something going on in your parish regarding it, and uh, get on board. You will and, not regret it. Anthony, thank you for your call. We've got about a minute left. I'm gonna, James. I'm gonna let you um, tell people how they can get involved at Exodus 90. Yeah. First off, Anthony, thanks so much for calling. That's why we do what we do. So thank you, brother. Um, yeah. So this this is our big time of the year. You know, 90 days to Easter, lands somewhere in January, depending upon where Easter Sunday falls each year. Uh, January 17th, Monday, January 17th, is our start date uh, to, to journey through Lent to Easter Sunday. So I would just encourage you to take this prayer. Uh, if you're married, talk to your spouse about it. Uh, make sure she's, she's open to it and has, uh, you know, you would have her blessing before you begin. But I just really encourage you, um, you know, if there's something in this, you're looking for a new start, looking to find greater freedom so that you can love those and lead those in your life a little bit better. I'd encourage you to check it out, uh, exodus90.com. Exodus90.com. James Baxter, co-founder and CEO, thank you so much for joining us. Coming up next is the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. I'm Ed Morrissey, filling in for Drew. We'll be right back.